what are examples of some icons today that you think are actually trying to have some fun? I feel bad because a lot of the ones I'm staring at my at my home screen right now and they're they're not that interesting. Please I was like please say one of mine. Please say one of mine. <laughs> Nathan, what is the first computer icon you remember seeing? I don't know about the first icon I remember seeing, but I do remember I was lucky. I'm I'm pretty old and I had, when I was a very, very young boy, my family got gifted a Tandy computer, which was like a computer that you hooked into a television and a tape recorder and you saved files to a tape recorder like a regular tape recorder that's like the computer that we had and i was obsessed with video games but my parents would not allow me to like buy a nintendo that had just come out so i grew up in like basic and ms dos and like i finally got a pirated copy of like windows 3.0 at like 10 years old i saw icons and it was uh pretty pretty different but i think the first the first icons I remember seeing was this computer we had came with this program called Dr. Halo. So this is kind of like a throwback graphic design thing. Wow. I remember very well. We still have that computer. It still exists in my mom's basement. But Dr. Halo was like similar to Mac Paint or just Paint. And it had icons and some of those tools. You can see the early foundations of the other tools that are there. So tools like the paint bucket and the ellipse tool and the rectangle and a pencil and the eraser, right? This kind of like basic raster graphics. So something worth Googling is Dr. Halo. And I think it was just packaged with a mouse. And at the time, like, I don't remember anyone else having a mouse. My friends would come over again, we're little kids. They would come over. They would be like, what's the thing hooked into your computer? It was, it was incredible. And the computer was, was MS-DOS. This was the only app that used a mouse at all. It was like to help sell mice, I think was this software. Can you believe we once had to help sell mice. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. What a strange thing. The first one I remember is is very classic is it's got to be the the bomb, Mac classic oh. bomb that Susan Kerr, now famous for her Mac icons designed and um it would strike fear into your heart and it's really incredible when you think about how square tiny little pixels can make you feel so devastated about your life in that moment. But today We are going to talk about what I think one might say is a humble subject, and that is the icon. And more specifically, the icons you might find on an iPhone or any product that would run iOS like an iPad. So here at Postlight, which is, we got to say this, a digital agency based in New York City. My name is Chapel. I am a strategist on our digital strategy team. And, And Nathan, what do you do, Nathan? I'm a product designer at uh, Postlight, so I, I design things. Been in design a long time, worked in various fields of design, branding websites, and now I'm a product designer here. Does that mean you design icons? You know, I haven't designed an iOS icon. It's interesting like to think we're designing products all the time and how often the the icon is just already designed. Or the icon is the logo of the company or, or something like that, right? If it's an app, it already exists. So, I I mean, I have done it, but it's more things like favicons and things like that, where you are maybe getting into that like 16 by 16 or now various versions of resolutions of favicons to load in kind of different uh, environments. But so, yeah, I have done it. But an iOS icon, I don't think I've ever really had to do one. I haven't either. It behooves us to actually 
talk to people who I, you might say are experts, at least more so experts on this topic than us. Uh, Michael, Jim, I would love for you all to introduce yourselves and what you do. And Michael, we'll start with you. So yeah, my name is Michael. I am a designer from the other side of the world, from, from Denmark. I have been working on interface design, lots of different kinds of visual design for, well, since I first got a pirated copy of Photoshop before the, the turn of the millennium, I right? worked nice. on a lot of different things and, uh, of course, worked on a lot of, of app icons as well. And I'm Jim Nilsson. I'm also a designer from this side of the world. I have done a lot more of the sort of digital products design related work, but had this interest in, I don't necessarily even know why, but when the iPhone first came out, had this interest in app icons and started curating this little collection of my own of just app icons that I found interesting and just visually interesting or, or whatever it might be aesthetically. And uh, I've been running that for a long time. So I haven't designed, I probably only designed one app icon in my life, but I've curated into my collection, like thousand something of them. So. Okay. So definitely a lot we can get into, but we have to start there, Jim, which is, as you said, you've been collecting these things since iOS was a thing. You've been collecting app icons. What inspired you to do that? Like what made you do this? It's kind of interesting. This was probably 2000, yeah, 2008, 2009. I was working my first gig out of college and I needed to design an app icon. Actually, it wasn't even an app icon. It was a bookmark icon, you know, the ones that's like the shortcut to a web page that you can add to your home screen, not an actual native app. I had to do one of those. And if you remember the web circa 2008, eight nine, there were a lot of like gallery websites. You know, you could Google 50 great minimalist website designs and you could find all these galleries that would have websites or, you know, print designs or whatever it might be. And I remember thinking, I got to design an icon. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'll try and find a gallery website that features app icons. You know, it's relatively new. Surely this must exist. And I couldn't find anything in Google. And so then I thought, oh, well, this would be fun to like make my own website. And I didn't even really know how to do that. Like back then, I'd never bought a domain name on GoDaddy or anything like that. So this was your first Website. This was my first, yeah, like I'd done, you know, websites for people off Craigslist, but they yeah, already yeah. had like an FTP server and I, they just gave me the, so I was like, I don't even know how to do this. I got to figure out, I guess I buy a domain from GoDaddy. I've seen a Super Bowl commercial. I think that's where I go for domains and, you know, figuring that all out. I got WordPress stood up, started putting icons in there that I would find off of the iTunes web store URLs that you could open up on your browser. And opening up the dev developer tools and like finding the, the <laughs> icon source and downloading it and then putting it into WordPress. It was a big convoluted thing when I first started doing it. And I've you know since found ways to optimize that process. But that's kind of how I got into it. I just started collecting them. And it was really the only gallery for app icons at the time. And, and I just really got fascinated with it. The more I started collecting, the more I started noticing, you know, visual details and stuff. And the more I started noticing... This random guy named Michael Flaherty who kept showing up, I would collect these icons and when I tried to find out who designed them, that was a name that kept coming up over and over in my collection. <laughs> Let's talk about the meet cute. How, how did you two meet? So yeah, I've, I've been working on app icons for a long, long time, doing resources about app icons. App icons uh, worked on a resource platform with uh, templates for icon designers 
done workshops and things. So for the longest time, I've been thinking about trying to shine some light on this underappreciated area of design. And I really, I have beautiful logo design books, coffee table books on my shelf. And after, you know, having app icons be a staple part of my career for the past 12 years, I was like, why, why is there not a nice book for, for this, dedicated to this craft that I'm so in love with? I kind of knew I wanted to make a book about, about app icons. And so I, I wrote this person who had kept featuring my work through many years, which was Jim. Uh, and I remember just shooting him off a, an email while I was uh, at, at swim practice with my uh, then five-year-old. I was like, this is probably a long shot, but I'll just kind of ask this nice guy if he wants to help me make a book, sort of like an impulse thing. And uh, I think like, like 10 minutes later, like uh, my son wasn't even out of the water yet. I had already received an email from Jim, like capital letters, yes. So we didn't actually know each other. We had sort of interacted on the, on the web as most of us just do on Twitter and whatnot. But that's kind of how, how it got started four years ago now. So what's collaboration look like? What are each of your roles on this this sort of project that you have embarked upon? In the very beginning, it was a lot of, you know, Michael coming to me and saying, hey, let's do this book. And in order to have icons in a book, we need to find some icons. So I had this gallery. So in a way, it was like this book was kind of, you know, at that point, eight years in the making because I've been collecting all of these over years. It's like, well, I guess I can go through those one by one. And start trying to find the people who are behind these. When you print a book, once you ship that to production, as it were, there's no hot fixes. Like that book's out in the in the real world. And so we're printing other people's intellectual property. So it feels like we've got to get license agreements. We've got to get, you know, people to actually give us permission to print all this stuff. So in the early days, a lot of this was just. I was trying to find the people behind these and I was sending off emails to all these people. And when I find someone, I say, hey, awesome, you know, let's get you in the book. I'll send you over to Michael. And I'd CC him on an email and he'd have that legal template ready and waiting with more details about, hey, you know, in order to find your way into this app icon book, you need to sign this agreement, which just gives us permission to print your, your intellectual property, get us the highest resolution artwork you have, you know, those kinds of details. And it was a lot of that for like the first two years-ish. I don't know. Was it that long, Michael? <laughs> yeah, I think we we exchanged like thousands and thousands of emails. It was really a pretty daunting. I think had I known then what I know today, I'm not sure we would have made this book, but uh, oh. I'm glad that we were bl blessed with ignorance back then. And a lot of like, yes, let's do this. It's definitely been four long years. Yeah, it's just an idea that I've I've been that's just been gaining some traction in my mind for maybe five or six years before I even started to act on it and and invited Jim to to collaborate on the book. It's been a long process from the mind to the to the Kickstarter that we just finished now, but it's it's been a crazy ride. Something that you said there, Michael, struck me. This you know that you're trying to shine a light on this underappreciated area of design and. I agree that it's underappreciated or maybe something that people don't, they don't understand the sort of gravity of what this kind of design meant. You know, when I got my first iPhone, which was the first iPhone, and I was the first person I knew to get an iPhone, it was a couple of hours. I immediately knew that it was like the future. Like people would ask me, oh, well, how is it? How's the iPhone? I was like, oh, you don't know. It's just, it's everything. It's like, this, this is your laptop. This is it. This is it. Everything is different now. And you'll see when you use it. And what I wonder about is as a designer, I was, a, I was a designer at the time. I thought, 
well, they're going to have to change this. They're going to have to update it. This grid of icons, this layout, you know, the spacing, it's going to have to change because software changes and trends change and it has stuck. And I am curious about like, did the designers, they must have been aware. They must have had prototypes of the phone. They must have been aware what a game changing invention or device this was going to be. And if they took it that seriously. And I'm wondering as, as you talk to people, did you talk to anybody like those early designs of, you know, the grid, the layout, that iconic, not to get the button there, but the iconic like, <laughs> layout of the home screen, it's still around. It has outlived all the trends. I think that's super underappreciated. Yeah, I also feel like, first of all, I mean, the history of, of iconography in general, of course, goes way, way back, uh, tracing it back to hieroglyphs, but also in interface design. It's a, it's almost practically an, an ancient discipline. But what's been so interesting about working in this field, specifically with, uh, with smartphones or touch-enabled devices, is that it's actually a really condensed history of like, 12 years, maybe. It tells so many stories when you look at, as you allude to, the introduction of the iPhone through the trends, uh, the great flattening of, of iOS 7, as, as we designers like to call it, the skeuomorphic days of pre-iOS 7, and now uh, seeing a little bit more of that dimensionality creep its way into, into icons. It tells a lot of stories. It tells about democratization of design tools and in general, like just appreciation for that whole craft because really app icon design or icon design is design. It is design distilled because it is trying to communicate something in a restricted canvas, whether that's for a, a phone or a, a computer or something else. I think it's such a fascinating craft. If you can master those things inside that constricted canvas, you can really apply that to many other areas of design. I usually say that it's, a, it's like a great primer for the design in general. And also I feel like it's it's a very intimate part of our lives. Like our phones are with us every all the time. Like I would even argue that app icons that we've been living with and we rearrange them on our home screens and we have discussions when the Instagram app icon changed or whatever. People are much more in touch with this piece of visual design than they ever were with big fancy logos on billboards and whatnot. So yeah, I, th I think there's so many fascinating things to the particularly the history of iconography on the iPhone. That's a really good point, too, about the when Instagram's icon changed, especially when it went to like sort of the more skeuomorphic, it looks like a camera icon to the kind of rainbow gradient it is today. People had opinions. Oh, yeah. Isn't it fascinating how divisive these little things are? It's headline news. I mean, you know, on yeah. the, all these tech blogs, like they're literally writing about this, putting it on the front pages. Instagram changed their app icon. Why do you think people get so upset? I, I think it's because it is such an intimate part of our lives. I think it's because the touch-enabled devices are with us everywhere. We we sort of curate this little digital garden in our pockets, right? We rearrange them. We care for them. So I know people that just keep apps that they might not even use that much on their home screens or one of their home screens just because they like the icon. I think a lot of people really, they might not even know, but they really do appreciate this craft. That's why we want to celebrate it by putting together an actual book about it. What's an example of a, an app that someone has told you that they keep on their phone just because they like the icon? Very curious which one it, which one it is. 
there's so many interesting sub stories in this whole thing uh, looking at, uh, at at iconography that's changed over the years for individual apps but uh, one thing that, that I know that people keep is for example something like a tweetbot you guys know there's been like this whole wealth of third-party Twitter clients one of them is called tweetbot and uh, made by a, a small company called tapbots and they make these nice little anthropomorphic like robots it, it's reflected in the app icon there this cute little robot robot bird way more approachable than the the, the Twitter logo dare I say and uh, I know for for a fact that even when the when people cut there was a lot of uh, hassle around Twitter cutting third-party apps off and you know limiting their access to the the, the Twitter services but even then, like I know that people just kept using Tweetbot, even if it was like a, a handicapped service by then. Uh, it's gotten much better since then. But uh, just because they didn't want to have, the, they didn't want to remove this cute little bird that's on their phone, right? That's so sad. <laughs> Again, getting getting back to this idea of like the impact that the design has. So you know, Jim, you were talking about you're printing a book. You just said there are no hot fixes, right? This is permanent. It's it's got to be right. You're not just going to update it. But I do think about that when I think about the importance of some of these icon designs. Instagram is a good example where everybody became very aware of it and they had opinions and Instagram knew that people were going to have opinions about it. And it changed something about something that they use every day. At the same time, that was maybe the most used app in the world at the time when Instagram changed their icon, right? Or close to. And they would have had the power to do that. And other apps might not be able to just swap out their their icon. So I can think of other examples of this a little bit where maybe they did it and it wasn't as easy. I know Slack, when the new Slack logo came out, one interesting complaint I heard, maybe this was a little more in the design community, but people... Whether they like the Slack logo or not, they said, it's a little harder to find on my phone now. Like, I don't see it. It doesn't jump out at me. The color is on the white. And now I, it's like harder for me to get to it. It takes an extra millisecond to tap it. I don't like that. And I, I'm curious if you have stories about things like that, where there were shifts where people were just, or where designers were thinking about when I was young, if you designed a logo, it had to work on a fax machine. That was like part of logo design, like it better work on a fax machine. And now <laughs> no your logo better work on that icon because if it doesn't, people might not use your app. It might hurt your company. To Michael's point, a lot of people, even if they're not designers, feel some of this internally, but they may not know it, which is if we step back a little bit further in the past, when the iPhone first came out, there were a lot of like indie developers, right? Solo people making these apps. And they were sort of interesting and kind of like the early web, a little bit more interesting and, and personalized and, you know, sort of reflective of the people who are making them because they were just making them solo in a lot of ways. And a lot of that creativity, I think, seeped into the app and the icons. And you saw a lot of that reflected, especially when in the early days, there was a lot of the skeuomorphic, like real to life. You know, if you wanted to make like a, an app about beer, you'd have this frosted glass, you know, those dripping with like foam coming down the sides, right? And you'd see that and you'd touch it. And it was very like tactile. And I feel like as a lot of those indie developers sort of got bought up, they got acquired, they got pushed out of business because these platforms started coming in. A lot of the design became a little less sort of individually creative and expressive and just a little bit more corporate, if you want to call it that. Where even the Slack logo, for example, like when it just came to, let's just put it on white, put the logo on there. I feel like that's kind of been an unfortunate trend that's happened. I mean, even me, like I don't have like a huge following on Twitter or anything, but the one tweet I've ever had that went sort of semi-viral for me was that 
Microsoft had done the same thing with the Outlook icon. They'd just taken the white one, slapped the Outlook logo on it, and that's that's all they did. And I put a couple examples in the tweet about how there are other people who took a crack at this and made it much more interesting given the constraints of iOS's canvas for designing an icon. And it was, you know, I had parts that were popping and more subdued and more color. And it wasn't just the logo popped on a white canvas. And I feel like people really connected with that. They're like, oh yeah, I wish so many more app developers would do this instead of just, I'll get a white canvas, take my logo, put it on it and say, done, ship it. That's the app icon. Yeah, I often wonder about that in terms of just kind of accessibility and and ease of use, because I was just looking at my phone, which no one can see because this is an audio program. But I have three, just if I look at my app drawer, I use Android. I have three icons stacked in a row. Two, the top two are Google products and the one below is Slack. They look so identical that I stare at my phone on some days and I'm just like, what do I need? This is like a fight I've been fighting for so long. I think design can be anything we want it to be. And I, I'm, I'm fighting for more expressiveness and playfulness in design. I usually just kind of cram it all into the banner of, of calling it fun. But I think there's just been a lot of like, yeah, minimalism or corporate minimalism where it's we've just sort of taken the easiest road out sometimes. That's exactly where I think app icons can play a different role from logos. Logos and app icons are not the same, by the way. I, I understand when some services, of course, need to use their logo or component of their logo mark or whatever in app icons. Those are some of the inherent constraints of branding. But in general, if you're making an, an app, you kind of want to connect with the viewer and the functionality of that app. And there's so many ways you can do that, right? And of course, there'll, there'll be trends. And, and I think we're touching upon some of them in, in this discussion here, where, you know, Apple kind of helped move the, the fence post a little bit by, you know, introducing iOS 7. Suddenly, everything was like this, uh, you know, magazine layout, hairline, thin fonts, uh, white background app icons, just colored glyph on white backgrounds. Luckily, I, I think Apple is kind of dialing that back a little bit. You saw uh, the new HIG on Mac OS with where they're basically doubling down on some of the expressiveness and icon design uh, that hasn't come all the way to their native apps uh, on iOS yet. But a lot of indie developers are now experimenting with, you know, more expressiveness. Uh, alternative app icons is also coming back now so that users can actually customize their own software, which has been really missing from touch-enabled devices for so long. So if I want my app icon to look like something else, now, you know, even the bigger brands like Twitter and stuff like that are enabling people to change the app icon to a different color or a different theme, seasonal stuff. And I think that's such an, an interesting sort of prism to look into when it comes to uh, the craft and the design of things and the expressiveness of things. To Michael's point, there's a lot of sort of subculture to a lot of this stuff. And I could probably talk about it for way too long. But one of the interesting things that I've seen is some people, you'll see these things where people are like, post a screenshot of your phone. Like, let me see your, you know, how you organize your app icons or what apps you use. And, you know, people will post these screenshots. And one of the really interesting things that are trends I feel like I saw was some people would just say, screw it. I'm not just going to make this category called finance and put all my financial apps in there. I'm just going to organize everything by the color of the app icon. So they'd have folders for each, like here's blue, here's orange. And then when an app would update its icon, they had to move it, you know, to a different grouping on their phone. And there was this kind of trend that happened where the white folder started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. 
because everyone just started putting their logo <laughs> on a white background <laughs> until it was like there wasn't a lot of other color. It was just white. And to your point, you know, when you see a white canvas with the Slack logo, which is, you know, red, blue, green, the Google Photos logo, the Gmail logo, which are red, blue, green, red, blue, green. And if I squint, I can't really tell the difference between any of these. So, Nathan, you've probably you've seen a lot of brands kind of come through our doors, a lot of clients. So you might have some insight here, too. But how does this happen? How do we get to this point where you kind of have the sea of sameness effect going on? I would be speculating here, but I can totally from meetings I have been in and think, you know, I could totally see why Nike and McDonald's and these kinds of companies just want their logo as the icon. I know how that conversation goes, right? I mean, the sort of marketing value of having your logo on someone's phone that they look at 2000 times a day and there's a little flag that says McDonald's all day. It's like, I mean, that's incredible, right? That's like an incredible power that you have over somebody that, you know, it's so identifiable. I, I bet you can't swipe past the McDonald's app without it sort of like subconscious it's in there. On the other hand, that means to me that there's like opportunity or it feels like there would be opportunity to to break away from it because I think of the the apps that Apple made, the sort of utilities that are in there, weather, stocks, settings, maps, even calendar, those are icons, right? Those are icons that are they're part of my phone. Like I have had the stocks app on my iPhone since my first iPhone. I didn't delete it. I didn't move it into the unused folder. And I have not been buying stocks very long. You know what I mean? I just kept that on the homepage for years. No reason. Just didn't move it. Thinking, oh, maybe someday I'll be a guy who's interested in looking at the price of stocks, you know? But like those apps, those like apps with their icons, they actually feel like they're more important to the phone or they're more a part of it or they're more useful somehow than all the other ones. But I don't know if you would ever convince, you know, McDonald's to even to change it to a burger or anything like that. I don't know. I don't think you have to, right? I mean, but but <laughs> wouldn't it be cool if McDonald's acknowledged that people don't necessarily just want to see the McDonald's logo, but could customize it? So you could choose your favorite burger to go on the app icon or something else, right? I think user customizability is something that some of us that was involved in the in the pre-smartphone uh, interface design, which was very niche back then, you know, we were doing Winamp. I have been making Winamp skins, if you guys remember Winamp. <laughs> Wallpapers, yes. icon packs. You know, I love that it's it's utilitarian art, basically, right? And I, I think uh, it's great to allow uh, user expression. And it's kind of to me, it's kind of gloomy that like all our phones kind of look the same, and they're all like just sort of laid out the same way. I'm not saying like okay, everyone can just do everything, but I think there is a lot of room in between those two extremes. And I, I am luckily seeing more and more people, ex, uh, you know, start to to embrace that. Even bigger brands like, you know, Twitter or uh, I, I don't think that McDonald's or, you know, Nike has some of that stuff yet. But uh, if, if anything comes of like this, like conversations like these um, that I've been having with many people, it's that people should start to appreciate the app icon as a separate entity from the logo. It is this unique window into the functionality of this digital universe you're building. And it doesn't always just have to be your logo slapped on top of a, you know, a, a single colored square or something like that. To go off that and into another one of the subgenres here, I don't know if any of you remember this, but shortly after the iPhone first came out, you know, it was tied to AT&T. You had to have AT&T to have an iPhone, right? And then there was this whole jailbreak community where you jailbreak your phone and you could use it on a different carrier. 
And there was this whole sort of community that came up around that and people who wanted to use the iPhone, but they didn't want to use ATT. And so they jailbreak their phone, which was they'd essentially allow you to put whatever software on there you wanted. One of the first things you started to see, there was this package, there was kind of the app store before the Apple's official app store was Cydia, which was this this place where you could go and download apps for your phone. This was before Apple ever created the app store, right? (laughs) And one of the first things you saw in there were apps and app icon customizations and themes for your iPhone. And people, you know, out of their own time would spend hours creating, making it so that like whatever the brands were back then that were on the iPhone, the mail icon, the browser icon, the phone icon, that they all looked similar. They all looked like they had the same theme. You know, they create like a dark theme. So every single app icon was black, but then you'd see like, you know, the phone silhouette or the letter silhouette for the mail or, and they create these, these overarching themes. And so your phone could look just incredibly different from someone else who was using the same phone. And this was to Michael's point, like this was totally just people customizing this on their own time. You still can't do that. Well, pe- people are doing that now, right? I mean, with shortcuts, so that's also coming mm-hmm. back. Have you seen some of the latest trends? I, I even did a video on this. People will happily suffer through that. Basically, you should, you know, the Apple's shortcuts app to create a shortcut and then customize that shortcut with a different, like a custom icon, to then open up an app that's hidden somewhere else. Just wow. and that's a, a that's a one second, two second delay of opening every app, just to customize this sort of stuff. People they hack like the we started out. Nathan, you started uh, talking about like a, the grid layout. People are kind of hacking that a little bit with widgets now or even just sort of going with an all black wallpaper and then using hiding uh, you know websites that's hidden as an icon on your phone but also have that black. I do that so that I can basically build my own grid structure on every uh, page of my phone. So people actually tr- are trying to like bend the rules now, not as crazy as in the city of days, but um, it, it's if you Google like shortcuts, app icons, or even just on YouTube, you'll see so many expressions of creativity. Uh, and I think that's nice. Like, I, I don't want like a dystopian future where all of our digital lives are completely identical. And what I think is really cool about it too is a lot of people, at least that I've talked to, who design icons, like Michael, for example, that's where they got their start was yeah. they were given this ability to play with this and sort of do what they wanted. And they started doing it out of their, you know, just in their free time. And then they turned it into a profession. And I think that's so interesting when you give people those sort of creative tools, you know, they find a way to make a living off of it. That's how it starts for a lot of people. It really seems much longer ago than it actually was. But in the kind of mid 90s to mid 2000s, you had a whole cottage industry around things like wallpaper designs and Winamp skins and icon packs before what I sometimes call like the unibotification of like the internet where you could kind of break things open a little more easily. But that kind of goes back to Michael, the, what you mentioned earlier was the word fun and remembering that we, we should be having some fun here in this time that we have on this planet. So I would love to know from both of you, what are examples of some icons today that you think are actually trying to have some fun? So some of the, my favorites still remain the ones that Michael brought up, for example, were sort of developed early on and still remain fun and interesting. Tweetbot being one of them. That icon has changed and evolved over time, but it still just remains super interesting to me. 
some of the other indie Twitter ones, like Twitterific, is also really interesting. I think uh, a great example is um, Apollo, the Reddit app made by Christian Selleck. Uh, I love bringing him up because uh, I think he is uh, one of the developers that spent the most money and time on art that I know of. So he makes uh, this wonderful Reddit reader app called Apollo. And uh, Apollo is like this cute little uh, robot. I think I definitely have a thing for, for little robots, apparently. He he basically commissions artists like myself to create uh, a new app icon almost monthly. And so he gives those to his subscribers so that people can customize. And so you have all of these artist interpretations of this cute little robot. And they're so diverse. And you can really just customize them by taste, like whatever you're feeling and you know that week. Full disclosure, I've made some of those icons myself. Um, and and it was interesting because uh, of course uh, we reached out to Christian f- like we reached out to many others to be part of the book and uh, when Christian delivered icons he delivered so we were like what are we going to do with these 40 different icons for this one app right and we actually in the book we have like a full page spread of just Apollo icons and it's such an I think it's such an interesting part of the book and the story in, in general and, and I see more and more develops of course I'm at the forefront of this because I get commissioned to do icons. I'm, I make maybe 50 icons a year for the past like eight, nine years or something like that. Commissioning, you know, as a freelance designer for big and small uh, companies. And so I've just seen a lot of this stuff and I've seen the trends move over time and all the different requests that people have. There's a lot of good examples from the indie app space, kind of like the one from Apollo. There are there are a number of people who like this is their profession, right? They get paid as freelancers or as, you know, however they're, I'm not exactly sure how they structure their business, but they get commissioned to create these for specific people. And so like Michael is a good example. There are individual sort of teams. There's like the Icon Factory. I don't know if you've heard of that group. They create some of their own apps, which they do the icon design for, but then they also do, I believe they do some icon design for others. And then there's other, we, we actually feature some of these people in the book who there's this team, uh, is it the Juno team, Michael? Yeah. And they have, you know, this whole team of people and they're creating these just incredibly visually interesting dynamic app icons for their clients. And so they just believe in putting in that work and that effort to design the app icons and whoever their clients end up being, they benefit from that. So it's really interesting to follow particular people and agencies a little bit more than it is, you know, maybe any individual app specifically. It's like a whole mirror industry to the logo design industry, which usually is reserved for, uh, you know, big digital agencies or, you know, brand branding agencies. Uh, and I think that because of the, the scope of like, designing app icons it's more reserved for like small individual freelancers that that's made this their special speciality that's been interesting we've seen that pattern of course collecting all this work through the years now in the book and just sort of seeing so many (laughs) of the same names pop out and be like oh this individual he has really contributed to this field that's what's so interesting to me because if you look at the logo design there's a lot of people that that's been designing amazing logos for the past hundred years but when you look at this very specific craft, which ha- has such a, like, it, it interfaces with so many people, like billions of people literally every day. And a lot of the art that's at the forefront of that has really been made by a, a, a pretty small motley crew of people. I'd like to hear you, you know, either of you both, to talk a little bit about, like, why the book, like, the importance of sort of archiving and preserving it. Is it about, you know, highlighting the groups of people that were involved in it? I think of a book as more of a 
as a permanent long-term artifact that will definitely, you know, it'll be around. It'll be on someone's bookshelf. It'll be around for a, a very long period of time. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. I think this is such an interesting angle to the book. And so when I came up with the book of wanting to make this book, it was primarily for the reason of wanting to celebrate this craft that I that, that I loved and I had been contributed to for so long. And I think Jim kind of felt the same. Like we wanted to, like he's collecting these galleries for all these years. And so we sort of wanted to, let's have a book about that. That was like the, 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 the blue-eyed optimism of like going into this thing. But one thing became clear as we were doing the work over the years is that a lot of these you know, icons, a lot of the art that's been made, it has disappeared or are in the process of being lost to time because a lot of the work that we do as visual designers is very ephemeral. And it's something that's been hitting harder for me, at least in the, in the past couple of years. I also work as a game designer. Pixels are a really fragile legacy to leave behind. Apps are updated, uh, you know, they're sunset or sold. And particularly in the app space, the indie app space of the early, you know, 2008, 9, 10. A lot of those apps aren't around anymore. So a lot of this art that people had sort of a connection to is disappearing. And I'm sure Jim can talk about the detective work that we did in just a moment. But Mark Edwards, who's a, a known figure in the design space. He runs a company called Biango, has a wealth of knowledge about graphic design. He's writing the foreword for the book. And he put it so succinctly in that, I'll try to paraphrase him here and probably butcher it, but that the pre-internet era uh, software, like cartridge-based games, you, you mentioned, Nathan, like uh, uh, Nintendo Entertainment Systems, are way better preserved. And so all the sort of software that we are producing today and in the past decade are at risk of, of being lost to time, far more so, more so than the, the stuff that, that was made in the generation before us. And so really, while working on the book, it's just become incredibly clear that we're not just celebrating this craft, we're also trying to preserve what parts of it is there. And a physical book is an excellent vehicle for that, to sort of keep it for future generations. That's been like an equal uh, goal now of the book is sort of to preserve this history, this art, this piece of art history that we've lived through. One of the things that... You know, Michael brought up early on when we started looking for, okay, how do we find the people behind all of these icons and reach out to them and find them? It was not an easy task, basically scouring the internet, trying to find who designed this icon or who is the app developer. And maybe we can reach out to them. And it was interesting to me, one of the things I feel like that struck me was the early days of iOS. And I kind of alluded to this earlier, produced a lot of indie apps. And a lot of them were like very targeted, like here's your grocery store shopping list app. You know, and the app icon to be like a little grocery store shopping cart. And a lot of those apps have since been consolidated into sort of generalized workflow apps by the big platform companies. So instead of having an app for grocery store shopping with an artful grocery store centric graphic, you could just get like a generic to do app from Google or Microsoft, right? And it seems like a lot of the early app developers face this dilemma of like, if you can't turn your thing into a platform, then you're going to either get acquired or you're going to go out of business. And, you know, through however long they were in business, they generated, you know, some traffic to their website. But a lot of the websites I found, you know, for these app developers were just, they didn't even own them anymore. I'd find, you know, these random like click farms where it was like, the website was still obviously getting a lot of traffic. And so there was value in owning that domain because then you could just throw up a bunch of ads. And so somebody went to it from a link. They'd just see this website that you know didn't represent the app developer at all. It's just a bunch of ads. I stumbled on so many of those uh, in trying to find these people. It was, it was really kind of sad to see how much of that had been lost. And so again, doing the book, 
was all the more like interesting to me to be able to try and preserve all of this. And it's, it's an interesting task too, because so much of app icon design is a, it's a digitally native medium, right? And so when you move it to print, it's a kind of translation that we have to make choices in the color space, for example, is RGB. And now we've got to do CMYK and like, how's that going to work out in that translation? Right. And even like the border radius of the icon, you know, pre iOS seven had a certain radius and after iOS seven, it became the squircle as we call it. And it had a different <laughs> radius. Yep. But also yeah. just to like tie a pretty bow on it in terms of, of what we talked about earlier. Like, I feel like we've also lived through a, a great period of sameness in design. That's kind of, I think we've touched upon this in this conversation, like a merging of styles or a streamlining of tastes or democratization of design tools. And I think many apps and, and websites kind of look similar today as the, as the design industry has matured. And I think that there is something to be said for looking back at, at this crazy 10, 12 year history of, of playfulness in, in this corner of design, icon design. And I think it serves as like this great reminder and this inspiration that design really can't be anything we want it to be. So why don't both of you tell us and our listeners where we can find you and what you're up to today and tomorrow? So I'm just my last name on Twitter and every other social network, is, which is F-L-A-R-U-P, Flarup. And uh, yeah, that's probably the best place to keep up with what I'm doing. We've been talking a lot about the book, and we've just been referencing it as the book. It's called The iOS App Icon Book. The Kickstarter that we just ran from, uh, I think we started like end of November, and it, it ended uh, last Friday on December 10th. We got overwhelmingly funded. So it was. Uh, it's funded by 1,346 or 64%, I think. So I was aiming for 10,000 euros to make the book and I would probably have lost money on the project uh, had we just reached that goal. Luckily, we reached that goal in 49 minutes and went all the way to, to getting 136,000 euros or around 155,000 US dollars. It's pretty, pretty well funded now, <laughs> pretty good. And now we, are, we actually have real brick and mortar publishers uh, setting up meetings with us. I think had I pitched a... A book about you know app icons that live on your phone four years ago. Uh, I'm not sure there have been uh, you know a lot of open doors for me, but now it's it's a completely different different story. Even though the Kickstarter is done, we are still keeping pre-orders open. There's really no reason not to until we place the first uh, edition print run with uh, with the printer. So when people are listening to this and if, if they're interested, they can go to appiconbook.com. It's just uh, the the website for all things this book, and they can pre-order a book. We hope hope to ship it in April. Fantastic. Yeah, if you uh, can't wait for the book, you can go look at my gallery, iosicongallery.com, where I've, you know, again, been curating icons for a long time. Uh, you can also find me online, Jim Niels on Twitter, jim-nielsen.com, because there's a senator from California named Jim Nielsen, I think, who owns the <laughs> domain without the hyphen, so... Hey, Nathan, where can people find out more about Postlight? Uh, I suppose on our website, Postlight. Com. We have an email address. I believe it's hello at postlight.com. We like to build things. So come build stuff with us. Michael, Jim, it was such a treat to have you both and to talk about a fantastic subject. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us.